Wow, I'm glad I got to be here for that. Amazing. That is so great. Praise the Lord. Oh, I'm glad y'all gave Brother Sammy some time off. You need to do that more often. Especially if he asks me to come preach. So, you know, um, I really do appreciate your pastor. He's, uh, he's one of those special folks. I think you already know that. He's been a dear friend for since 93 when we came to Russellville. Pastor down at First Baptist, uh, a supporter, an encourager, a man you could call. He has a pastor's heart. Uh, he loves these people. He loves the word. And uh, it's, a, it's a privilege for me to uh, be able to stand here in, in the pulpit that he preaches from and, and try my best to bring God's word to you today. Um, I got thinking on the way out here. You know, I haven't preached um, since about the first of February, and uh, so I may have forgotten how. I'm just hoping it all comes back to me. We're glad you're here. I would, uh, I, I can't give you a text to turn. We're going to be in, we're going to be in the Gospels, and I'll give you some texts along the way, but you know, we live in a weird time, don't we? I mean, if, if, if Jesus is not coming back soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, things have gotten really, really bad. And, and if you think about it, the Christian faith is literally under attack around the world. And not, just, not just here in the United States, but literally around the world. I, I, I follow a lot of these things. And, and, and you, know, you realize that China is, is, is cracking down on the Christian faith. I mean, literally closing churches, they want emperor worships, what they're wanting over there. Uh, things like India, uh, churches are being burned, and Africa, Christians are being slaughtered. Uh, around this world, and Turkey is, is trying to go to an extreme Muslim country now where there used to be a, a lot of freedom there. And America? Most of us my age would never have believed we're going to live to see happen in our countries what's happening today. And, you know, and I got to thinking about, you know, what does that mean? What, you know, if there's an attack against the Christian faith, what is the, what is the easiest way to overthrow? If you were to undermine and destroy what Christians believe, where would you start? And I got to think, you know, I think you'd have to start by the one thing that is unique among uh, all religions with the Christian faith. And that is, we believe in a resurrected, living Savior that is going to return to this earth one day. And the resurrection is literally the heart and soul of the Christian faith. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Paul clearly admits to the church at Corinth that the, the cornerstone of everything we believe is built on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's what makes the Christian faith different. There, there's no, no other religion like that, not none in the world. They've, they've had great leaders, but not one of them claimed he would rise from the dead and actually then do it. So the thing that makes Christianity different is the very thing that you have to destroy if you want to bring the Christian faith down. If there's no resurrection, if 
Jesus Christ, the God-man, did not die on a cross and raise on the third day, if that did not happen, then there is no Savior. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no truth to this book we call the Bible. There is no eternal life. And when you die, as one person said to me, it's just the blackness of darkness forever. There is no hope. There's nothing to offer this world if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Now, what I do know this morning is that 98% of you agree with me. And maybe more than that. You're already convinced. You've experienced the fact that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the grave. But not everyone believes that. And you're going to have your faith attacked in that very area. So what I would like to try and do this morning, and, and there's, there's three or four different ways I've tried to preach this in the past, and this is just one of those efforts. I would like to bring a message to help you stand confident in your belief that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior, the one who returned from the dead. So, where do we start? Well, I think the first thing we have to deal with is the question, did he really die? You know, there are those who believe that, uh, and they've got all kinds of fictitious stories out there, that he really didn't die. That's the reason they saw him alive, but he didn't die on that cross. Now, now I don't want to be morbid this morning, but, but I want you to think for a moment about what that means. I want you to think about the physical condition of this human being called Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, the God-man. First of all, remember, he'd been up all night. Now, I don't do too good at that. I've been at times where I'm up most of the night, and then I'm ready to collapse the next day. He was up all night without rest. Then the, he was taken by the authorities and he was given 39 lashes with a whip. And I, again, you have to remember that this was just not an ordinary whip. It wasn't like something you might, you know, you know like one of these bull whips that they crack and snap. This thing had several tentacles, and each tentacle in the end, it was a nice little piece of either bone or metal. So that when the whip wrapped around your body, those pieces of metal dug into the flesh, and then they would rip it back. So, again, I, it sounds terrible to say this, but Jesus looked like ground hamburger meat when they got done with him. Thirty-nine lashes. Then they put a crown of thorns on him. Then the, the soldiers beat him, punching him back and forth, playing a game. How weak was he? He was so weak that he stumbled and fell carrying the cross. That's what kind of physical shape was it. Then they put him on the cross and they drive nails in his hands and in his feet and he's hanging there between heaven and earth. And as if that wasn't enough, when it came time for the sun to go down and they could not leave these soldiers on the, these um, prisoners on the cross, the soldiers came, and the first two thieves were still alive. They broke their legs, 
so they could no longer push themselves up and get a breath of air, so they would quickly expire. But they came to Jesus, and the scripture says to me that he had already died. John 19.33, if you want to look at it. And when they came to Jesus, they found he was already dead. Now, think with me a moment. These were Roman soldiers. Do you think they'd ever seen any body pass out hanging on a cross before? This is something they did on a regular routine basis. These were, this is an illustration to the people around what happens if you buck Rome. And so they had seen guys who, hanging on a cross, had passed out. They knew what that looked like. So how do you check that? Well, you do what the soldiers did. They took a spear, stuck it in the side, through the heart sack, so that blood and water, it says, came out. That makes sure that this just wasn't a faint on the cross, that it was a death on the cross. And when Joseph Remember, Joseph went and asked Pilate for the body. And Pilate went, he's dead already? Can't believe it. So what do you do? It says in, in Mark 4, 15, verse 44, here's what it says. Then Pilate, surprised to hear that he was already dead, some of the centurion, the centurion in charge of 100 Roman soldiers, he's, he's like the, uh, like the um, SEAL Team 6 leader. So he comes in and he asks him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So there was no question historically about whether or not Jesus really died on the cross. We're also told that, remember Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they, they took the body of Jesus. What did they do with it? They wrapped it up, the Bible says, with a hundred pounds of spices, put it in a grave, and rolled a stone over the door. So that issue is a non-issue. Did Jesus really die? We have to say yes. He died on that cross. He suffered there. He bore our sins. He shed his blood that you and I might have eternal life. That's what happened there. But there are those who come up with, with objections to the resurrection. One of the earliest, by the way, Matthew 28, verse 13, if you want to look at that, here's what it says. It says, uh, verse 12, it says, And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, You tell them, his disciples came at night, and stole him away while we slept. So one of the earliest uh, theories was, at least was put out there, and bribes being paid, that the disciples snuck in there at night, rolled the big stone away, got the body, and took it away. Now, it's really hard to believe, because what do we know about these disciples, folks? You know, 
Where were the disciples when Jesus was being crucified? Well, most of them were hiding out. It says when they came to take Jesus in the garden, what did they do? They all what? What's the word? They all fled. And all of a sudden, they've got the courage to go in and, and steal a body? By the way, the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers who could lose their lives if they went to sleep. And the tomb was sealed with a Roman seal. Folks, in that day, you did not break that Roman seal. It was a fearful thing to buck the, 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 the nation of Rome. That's the reason people were being crucified along to start with. And in fact, if you think about it, what, what happened when they heard the tomb was empty? What, what was the reaction of the disciples? It said they were amazed. They were astounded and unbelieving at the sign of the empty tomb. So they stole the body? They slipped in, they got past the Roman soldiers, they broke the seal. People without courage, they had no courage until the day of, of Pentecost. Some of you are old enough to remember the Watergate scandal. Remember that with President Nixon? And there were like, there were like 11 guys that, uh, that were involved in this. And when it came to light, what was the first thing that they did? They began to rat each other out to protect their own skins. Chuck Colson said this, Loyalty went out the window as each man tried to make a deal for himself. I'll tell you this morning. Every disciple of Jesus laid down their lives for the fact that they preached a resurrected Savior. Eleven men, twelve men, counting Paul, would not die for a lie. Say, well, we've heard that maybe the Romans took the body. I mean, they were guarding the grave. Couldn't the Romans have broken the seal themselves and taken the body out and, and, and put it someplace? Well, yeah, they could have. So when the disciples come and they begin to preach the resurrection of Jesus, we saw him in the Galilee. He's resurrected. He's coming again. You need to trust him as Savior. The Romans just simply drag out the body and say, look, here he is. He's dead. Well, that doesn't make any sense that the Romans might have taken the body because they could have showed the body and stopped this crazy preaching that they were doing. Well, somebody said, well, what it was is that they went to the wrong tomb. That's almost more hilarious to me than the Romans taking the body. The Romans, they, they, there's several things. First of all, Luke 23 and, and verse 55 says that the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. So they go from the place of crucifixion to the place of burial, and the women followed along. Secondly, folks, this wasn't a graveyard. It wasn't like there were a whole lot of tombs there to choose from. There was one tomb in one garden, and the Bible says it was nearby. In fact, in John chapter 19, those of you who take notes, this is one you need to look at. It says, so there they laid Jesus because the, the day of the Jews' preparation was near, and the tomb and the tomb was nearby. 
How many of y'all been to Israel? Okay, some of you have. The one thing that will just absolutely astound you is that there was a, a rock quarry right next to the, out to the wall of the city, a rock quarry. They've turned into a bus terminal. That's really spiritually inspiring. You go there and you say that's where Jesus was crucified, was a bus terminal. Used to be a rock quarry where they got the wall, rock for the walls. It's the crossroads of the Damascus Road and the Jaffa Road and the Jericho Road. It's the major intersection in the nation of Israel at the time of Christ. Guess where the, the Romans crucified people at that time? They wanted everybody to see it. You remember reading about the crucifixion? Says, and those passing by wagged their heads. They're seeing more, oh, they're doing another crucifixion thing. It was a, like a billboard. You see this? Leave Rome alone. Don't be a thief. You die. Right next to that rock quarry. I mean, you can stand there and literally throw rock. It's, it's not, seriously, it's, it's, not, it's not much farther than from here to your parking lot. It's not even that far. It's the, one of the largest gardens of the time of Christ in the city of Jerusalem. The largest, largest cistern, the largest man-made burial site carved out of solid rock. A rich man's burial site. So they, they weren't wandering around in a graveyard wondering, where's the tomb? They knew exactly where the tomb was. In fact, Peter and John knew exactly where it was. They didn't make the same mistake in the daylight. They ran straight to that tomb. They knew where he was buried. So what does all this prove? It proves to me that people who don't want to believe will find a reason not to believe. They will not accept the truth though it's laid out clearly and plainly in front of them. The resurrection has multiple sources of evidence that Jesus, our Savior, is alive. First of all, you can go to the early records. So some people say, well, then, you know, those New Testament writers, uh, they, they made this stuff up. They, they wrote the Gospels for the church, and, and, and they wanted the church to grow, so they, they made these things up. What's the problem with that? Do you know that when the Gospels were written, many of the people who had experienced seeing the Lord Jesus alive were alive? They could have gone and said, uh, 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 no, 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 I, I, I remember it differently. No, there were witnesses 1 Corinthians 15, 6, for instance, says this, After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brethren at the same time, most of who are still living, though, though some have already died. The early records prove that Jesus rose from the dead. And there were eyewitnesses. Oh, let me give you a quick list, okay? Hang on, here we go. These are the people who Jesus appeared to. Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20, verse 11. To other women, Matthew 28, 9, and 10. To Peter, Luke 24. 
to two disciples by themselves, Matthew 24, 13, 10 apostles, Luke 24, to Thomas and the other apostles in John 20, to seven other apostles in John 21, to all the apostles in Matthew 28, to all the apostles again in Acts 1, 4, to 500 brethren at once, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, then to James, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, and to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. All these people testify, many of them laying down their lives for the truth of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of you know that there are today folks who deny the Holocaust ever happened. They said, you know, no, six million Jews were not killed in the ovens of, of, of Germany, Poland, other countries. No, six million, that never happened. The problem with, with that is that in 1981, 10,000 of those survivors held a four-day gathering in Jerusalem. And Michael Ernest, a survivor of Auschwitz and Birkenwald, held up his hands and said, These hands have carried off more corpses for burial than I care to remember. And some will say the Holocaust never happened. We know, because we were there. And that's the testimony of the New Testament. Those who were there, they know that Jesus rose from the grave. Nothing else, if nothing else, you could see an extraordinary change in, our, in the disciples. Before the resurrection, they were fearful guys. They were hiding out. Peter even denied knowing him. I don't know that man. And they were, again, in John 20 and verse 19, it says they were hiding. Let me read that to you. Oh, 2019, my bad. Chapter 20 and verse 19. And then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when are they worshiping? Sunday. When the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear, for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. They were hiding, but all of a sudden now they're boldly in Acts, standing out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something so spectacular and so undeniable had happened to them, they had experienced something no one else had experienced, and they now can't help but tell somebody. Well, that brings me to why we're together today. You've sat there and you've said, Brother Jan, I believe it. I, I, I believe he died. I believe they buried him. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ has made a transformation in my life. Then why aren't you bold enough this morning to share that with other people? What are you afraid of? Like these fearful disciples hiding out? The message of the church then was that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, died on a cross rose from the grave that you might experience the forgiveness of sin and that you might be with him forever and ever in heaven. 
should we not have that same kind of boldness? Should we not be willing to stand up and pay the price regardless of the cost to make a stand for the resurrected Savior if we really believe that church? The world around us should know that we believe that. The message of the church then, as Paul said, if he didn't rise, we are of all people most hopeless. But in Acts 2.32, it says this, God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Are you? What kind of a witness have you been born for Christ? Do people know that you believe in a resurrected Savior? That was the message of the church. And folks, it should be our message this morning. Let me pray for us. Fathers, we've looked into your word. We're just so grateful to know that our Savior lives. And one of these days, he is going to step out. And there's going to be a cry. And the graves of the believers are going to empty. And those that are alive are going to be changed. And we're going to be caught up ever to be with the Lord. But Father, until that day, I believe your assignment to us is to share our belief in a resurrected Savior with a world that rejects and refuses the, the message. I pray you'll challenge our hearts today to be more faithful in sharing that word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To follow Jesus, no turning back.